Good morning. Welcome once again to Christ Community Presbyterian Church. We are uh, coming towards the end of our <clears throat> we're coming towards the end of our uh, study in First Peter. Uh, we have this uh, sermon and then one more. We'll be taking a brief uh, section after that to look at uh, worship for th- three weeks. And then following that, we'll start a new series. Uh, but uh, we're, we're in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Um, and we've spent the better part of our study in 1 Peter discussing sort of individually how are we to live in the face of fiery trial or suffering for the sake of righteousness uh, in a world that's hostile to the gospel. But in this chapter, the Apostle Peter takes uh, a, a different uh, aim. He's looking at what it means to be the church in this setting, what it means to have elders and those under authority uh, in the world that's hostile. Uh, What does that look like? What's what's its aim? Um, And he makes the point, I think, and this is the point we're going to be looking at in a little bit, is that the structure and leadership of a church is necessary to see the people of God through, safely through, the fiery trials that they face. On a day in and day out basis. So, in many ways, uh, this sermon is directed at me. Um, and that Seth and John and Matt and those who were called to be elders of Christ's church. And so, in some ways, it's a little awkward, right? It's like I'm preaching a sermon that is really directed at me, but I think it's helpful for each of us to understand what it means to be an elder. What, who, what the role is, what its aim is, and what our responsibility is towards it. So with that, let's turn to the text, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Hear God's word. It's found, it's found for you in your bulletins, chapter 5 of 1 Peter. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are Younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There are essentially, and there's probably more, but these are two big category, pitfalls for those who might be elders, leaders in Christ's church. The first pitfall, and in many ways the greater and more deadly of the two pitfalls, uh, is to see church leadership as a way to gain glory and or power in this life. Um, And again, I want to be clear, I'm not talking about the glory that is going to be revealed. We all, as partakers of Christ, will enjoy a glory. But there there is a glory that oftentimes we as humans seek uh, here on this earth. And there is a pitfall for those who would want to be church leaders that they do it for praise and 
glory here and now. And of course, we see this in megachurch pastors around the globe. And uh, most recently, um, not most recently, but there's, there's too many to count. But there's one in particular that I read about a few months ago. Um, there was a, that TV show, Inside Edition. I never watched it, but it was on the news anyway. That there was a pastor, there's a famous pastor, a health and wealth gospel preacher, who was exhorting his congregation to purchase a $50,000 jet. No, 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 $50 million jet to add to his other two jets. For this pastor, it's fame and glory. But I've not just seen it among folks striving to be leaders in, in large churches, but it happens in small churches as well. Those who think that there is splendor in being up front or being in the inner circle or whatever it is. And sometimes it's not glory so much as it is desire for power and control, the need to call the shots, to be in charge, to have things go their way. And so we strive for for leadership in the church. This is a pitfall. It's a deadly pitfall. Verse 5 states it powerfully. He says, God opposes the proud. And really, that's what it is, right? The desire for self-glory is pride. Um, and we could go through the annals, not of our modern day, but we could go through the annals of uh, the history of Israel. Pretty much every king of Israel was opposed by God because of their pride. Even the best of them. Think of David, who in his pride took Bathsheba. Think of Solomon in all his glory and wisdom, and he started to think of himself as pretty awesome. God opposed him. Of course, Saul, he was opposed as well. God opposes the proud. This is, this is a big pitfall. But there's a second pitfall that is often the case for church leaders, those who might desire to be elders in the church. And that is to see leadership in the church as painstaking drudgery, as a joyless and thankless burden, or something that is done as grudging duty. And this is a common pitfall for elders in Christ's church. And I want to be clear here as I say this, because I want you to get the wrong impression. Um, it's common because there are sometimes thankless aspects and painstaking things that go into being an elder of Christ's church. And now, now here's the caveat, right? I want to be absolutely clear that I'm speaking generally and nothing that I'm saying reflects on any specifics of ministry here at CCPC for me, all right? <laughs> be very clear. I feel blessed to be your pastor and I've enjoyed the sweetness of your fellowship and uh, I look forward to that continuing. I'm, I'm noting more than anything about the general ministry that not only I've experienced over the course of time, but also that other pastors and elders have experienced, that there are hard things, costly things that go into being an elder in Christ's church. There's a costliness to it. And here's the pitfall. The pitfall is that costliness without eternal perspective, becomes a pitfall. When we as leaders can't see the present joy of serving Christ in His church, when we no longer anticipate God working, 
And when we no longer have that horizon of hope that I've talked about in glory, we start to despair. We fall into the pit. We become discouraged, even resentful of the work set before us. Spiritual dryness and spiritual depression can set in. And if left unchecked, we become bitter. And finally, in despair, sometimes we leave faith altogether. So those are the pitfalls, right? Okay, two pitfalls of church leadership. And now you're thinking, who would ever want to do such a thing? The pitfalls are there. And, and they're there all the time for, for leaders in the church. That you'd be tempted in one way or the other. So in the face of these two pitfalls, Peter sets before us a vision for a healthy church structure that will prepare and lead Christ's church to glory. And at the heart of the vision is a call to humility. A call to humility. Both for the elders, those who've been called to lead, as well as for those who are putting themselves under authority. Humility. Humility enables us to see our various roles in the church from the perspective of glory. Understanding who we are and whose we are. From the perspective of Christ, our shepherd, the one who is leading us and guiding us home. That's the perspective that as leaders of the church and as those under authority need to have. So with that, let's clothe ourselves. This is our goal, to clothe ourselves with humility. For through this, it is the way the good shepherd leads us home. So three parts, hopefully brief because I know we're running late. But we need humble under-shepherds. This is, I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> it's a call to me to, to, hum, to be humble in my calling and to the other elders and to those who would desire to be elders. We need humble under-shepherds. Secondly, we need humble sheep. Those who would submit themselves to those under shepherds. But finally, we have a glorious, humble shepherd who glorifies, lifts up the humble, and crowns them with glory and splendor, not of their own making, but of his own. And that's the, that's the hope, that's the, the piece of horizon that enables us to walk in so we'll look at this, these th- three things. And I'll be frank, the first will be long because most of the emphasis is on the under-shepherds. The part about uh, the humble sheep will be very short and brief because, well, it's a single verse here. And then finally, we'll rest in the gospel. So first, we need humble under-shepherds. Peter uh, sets for us an example of what this looks like both negatively and positively. So first, I I just want to tell you up front, this is is awkward for me a little bit to talk about these things. Um, As one who's called to be an elder of Christ Church, I feel like I should be the one sitting with you and have you guys talk to me, talk about... I know that's not how it works, right? That's this part of it, but there's an awkwardness to this. 
And yet I think I'm in good company because this is exactly what Peter here is doing. He's exhorting elders as a fellow elder himself. He's exhorting the church as one who is preaching to himself. And, you know, Peter begins by stating to the elders that he is this fellow elder. He actually coins the term fellow elder. It's not used anywhere else in Greek literature. He kind of pushes two words together and he says this. And then from here on out, this word fellow elder gets used throughout Christian uh, history. But here he coins it. I'm a fellow elder with you. And I'm, he's going to shepherd them, or he's going to exhort them to shepherd the flock of God that's among them. But I, I can't help but think about Peter and his past and what was going through his mind when he wrote these words to this church. Do you remember the scene on the shores of Galilee after Christ was raised from the dead and he's sitting, eating, and Jesus confronts him? Peter, do you love me? It was a a glorious moment for the gospel to enter into a broken sinner's heart. Peter, Peter who was up to the point of the cross, was full of pride, right? He was one who had a pride enough that when he didn't like something Jesus said earlier in the ministry, he confronted Jesus. incredible. Think about it. Jesus says, I need to go and die at the hands of the the authorities. And Peter pulls him aside and says, Jesus, you can't die. (laughs) Peter, of course, rebukes Jesus in that setting. Peter is prideful, not just in his boldness in talking to Jesus that way, but later it appears that Peter was again at the heart of a dispute that arose among the disciples about who was the greatest among them. To which Jesus said to them that in order to do this ministry, you must become least of all. And then a little bit later, when Jesus told Peter that his faith was going to be tried and tested, he said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. You see the pride of Peter here? This was Peter in the Gospels. He was full of pride, but when that testing came and the burden of being a disciple of Christ was too much for him to bear, he fell into that first pit. All his pride came tumbling down. And then he fell into the second pit. Woe is me. This is too much. And yet there on the shores of Galilee, the Lord faced a humbled Peter And asked him three times, do you love me? What is Peter's response? I love you. I love you. Lord, you know that I love you. And what did Jesus say in response each time? Feed my sheep. So now Peter, who has learned his lesson really the very hard way by falling into those two pits, the, the, pit of pride of, the pit of pride and the pit of spiritual discouragement, now turns to the elders of this far-flung community and says, I am just like you. I'm not greater than you. I'm one of you. A fellow elder. A witness. Now, 
The word witness there is the word martyr, right? We have that word. We use it to talk about those who suffer for Christ's sake and bear witness to him. Um, but the, the word here is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And the, the, the commentators debate, does he mean that he was an eyewitness to the, the, the sufferings of Christ? Of course he was. He was a disciple of Christ. But others will say, no, but it's talking about his bearing witness to Christ through his own sufferings. Of course Peter did. He did both of those things. He was a witness. He was a witness. And now as an apostle and fellow elder, he himself, having shared in Christ's sufferings for the sake of the gospel, is encouraging these elders in this far-flung place to do the same thing. To become martyrs of Christ. But Peter's perspective is drastically different than what it was before, isn't it? He longed for earthly glory before this trial of faith that he had at the cross of Jesus. And now he looks forward to glory that is going to be revealed to him. He looks forward to a glory, not of his own making, but one of Christ's doing. Where he sits around the throne of grace, the throne of Christ, and receives the crown, not of his own making, the one that belonged to Christ, who himself was humbled, and who served, and who shepherds. So, alright, we have the, the picture of Peter, but... What is an elder to act like? What are the characteristics of this humble, glory-bound elder to be? Well, Peter begins by bringing up the same imagery that was given to him. He says that they are to shepherd the flock of God among them. They are to feed Christ's sheep. Just as Peter was told to feed sheep, so now he tells them, feed Christ, Christ's sheep. Sheep and the imagery of a shepherd is seen through all, all throughout Scripture. We could we could spend an entire another forty five minutes to an hour easily going through all the different passages that refer to Christ as shepherd and what it looks like to be a shepherd. But there are a few that stand out. Right, Psalm twenty three, one of the most glorious passages in all of Scripture. Psalm twenty three. Here we have a picture of Christ as the faithful shepherd. What does he do? What does Christ do? He leads us beside still waters. He leads us into those beautiful pastures. He feeds us. Even in the presence of our enemies, right? He protects us and he guides us. And he he takes mercy and grace and he forms and he fashions us and he pushes us. And he leads us. And he draws us back. Picture of a shepherd. There's another picture in Ezekiel chapter 34 where God is condemning the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, for feeding themselves and clothing themselves at the expense of the sheep. The tragedy that happens in Ezekiel chapter 34. This is where we get uh, uh, phrases like this. That person, like the guy that I talked about who had the various airplanes or jets, we fleece a congregation, right? That's what 
the leaders of Israel were doing. But in this same passage, Ezekiel chapter 34, God promises to be the shepherd of his people despite the failure of these under-shepherds. He promises to clothe and to feed the sheep. And of course, Jesus Christ uses the imagery of sheep and shepherd in the Gospels. In the Gospel of John, he says very clearly, I am the good shepherd. What does he do? He feeds, clothes, protects, cares for, leads Christ's sheep, his sheep. So Peter goes on and elaborates what it means for us as elders to follow Christ as the good shepherd. Firstly, shepherds, me, you other elders out there, those who are aspiring to these things, we are called to watch over the sheep. It includes feeding. It includes leading into green pastures and beside quiet waters. It means feeding God's people amidst the trials and battles that they are facing both internally and externally as they come, as the church comes together. Our job as elders is to care for, watch out for, feed, protect, even guard the sheep. There's a picture of protection in that great Psalm 23. And then Jesus brings this picture of protection up again in the book of Acts before his ascension when he warns his disciples of prowling wolves who would not spare the flock. That rod and staff were weapons. Protect, care for the sheep. But it's not just keeping sheep out, like keeping wolves out, but it's also caring for the souls who are struggling internally. The book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews that we read earlier, says that elders are said to be keeping watch over our souls. That's our call. And we have, an, we have to give account to God for that work. There's so much more that we could talk about with regard to shepherding, and I, I don't have the time to go into it all, but I, but I can tell you as I go on to describe it myself, I'm, I'm, and I'm guessing that this is true for the other elders that are out here that have ministered in this way, that as you are reminded of these tasks that belong to you, you're overwhelmed. I get overwhelmed with this role. becomes too much. I'll come back to the gospel in just a second. But I just want to say this. If somebody, and, and Peter says this as well, if somebody is maybe put up, nominated for the role of elder, maybe they have gifts, maybe they're a great teacher, maybe they are a great leader, maybe they're humble. But... They fear it would destroy them. The Apostle Peter is really clear. He says that they should not do it under compulsion, but that they should do it willingly. Eagerly. Now, as I even say those words, I think, 
We would never have any elders if that were the case. <laughs> that were always the case, that, that we should do it willingly and, and, uh, in our own strength, desiring it. And, and I don't want to be, there are some that just feel like this is their call, they can serve in this way. But oftentimes, we're so overwhelmed as elders with the, with the weight of responsibility that we are given, that we feel like all we want to do is run away from that. But for some, and, and we take those burdens on and we get crushed and we stand up, but for some the burden is too much. Because here, at the end of the day, what is the role of the elder? What is the role of Christ as the shepherd? What, is, what was his role for us? What did he do? He laid his life down for the sheep. That's what elders are called to. In humility, to give up their lives. Who of us can do such a thing? And here, here's where I want to go back to the story of Peter on the shore of Galilee. When Jesus was standing before him, Jesus didn't ask him, Are you able? Are you strong? Are you ready to be a shepherd of God's sheep? Do you have all the gifts necessary? Are you trained well enough? Can you go out and proclaim? Do you have the words to say? Does he say any of those things? What does he say? What does he ask Peter? Do you love me? You see... At the heart of being an elder in Christ's church is having a love of Christ. And how is that love of Christ born? It's born out of the realization that as a man before God, I'm a sinner, a broken sinner. And yet I know that Christ has died for my sins, that he has laid himself down for me. He has loved me and there is nothing that I wouldn't give in love in return for him. The only thing that can compel someone to be an elder is the love of Christ. That's it. So what is that? How do we apply that? Because for some of you, this is like, well, I I can't be an elder. I'm not going to be an elder. I have no desire to be an elder. Um, a, A few points of application. The first is this. Know that those... Lord willing, they've done this, counted the cost, and have been called to this role. They have done this out of love for Christ. And by extension, love for you all. And therefore, you have great comfort and knowledge that they're not doing it for glory, for their self. But they're doing it knowing that it could cost them their life. So, What do you do? Pray for your elders. Pray for your pastor. Pray that they wouldn't fall into those two pits of pride or the pit of self-despair and feeling like it's all not worth it. Pray that they would continue to love Christ and to do their work in caring for you and their weakness, knowing that it's born out of love for Christ. 
And what does that look like? Well, Peter tells us what it looks like. He says, don't domineer over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. When, when a leader lacks love for Christ and loves himself more, he will either try to manipulate people or domineer over them. Why? Well, because it's about them. It's about their glory. It's about pushing people around so that they receive praise. But when their mind is fixed not on themselves, but on Christ, their first love, what will they do? They will run after Christ. And what will they do? They'll look behind them and say, come along. We're, we're going in this journey this way. We are following Jesus. Because where else would you want to go? Let's go to Jesus. The path of glory is that way. There's, a, I think, a very significant thing that the picture of shepherd is used throughout Scripture. And not the picture of a cattle driver, right? It's not the cowboy with his hat on and his big whip and going after those cows and pushing them forward. What is it? It's the picture of a shepherd leading certainly has his tools keep people in line keep the bad guys away but he's leading to green pastures to still waters to the banqueting feast of heaven love of Christ causes us to lead and to live in a way that encourages folks to follow. So I am talking to you elders and myself right now. That's, that's our call. And, and you as, as the congregation, as those who are a part of this system, it's your call to encourage us to that end. To point us to Jesus when we start to fall towards one of those pits. To put up those warning signs. Pastor, it's not about you. You are not the Christ. Not the Christ. But I know who the Christ is. I want to point you all that way. Humility has Christ as its aim. Pride has self-glory as its aim. This next point that I want to bring up is just short and brief. It is to the congregation as a whole, but to us as well as, as, as leaders... And this is here in chapter 5, verse 5. It says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submission is, again, one of those words. We've looked at it over the course of the, this, this little letter from 1 Peter uh, multiple times. It's a dirty word in our, in our context and in our world. Um, it's contrary to the way of the world. The way of the world is power struggle. Who has power? Who's getting power? Who doesn't have power? How we flip and reverse the roles of power so that those who are unempowered get power. It's all about power and control. And self-glory. And getting what's your right is. And here in the church we're saying the way of glory is to relinquish power. 
is to put yourself in submission to the elders. Now, this goes really poorly, really poorly, if the elders aren't following that first command of leading in love of Christ, right? Leading by example, in humility, laying down their lives for you. It doesn't work if they're all about themselves and you submit. Then it's, then it's the beatdown that happens. Or there's the power struggle, right? Those two things often come into play. But, but this is the picture that Peter's trying to paint here is one of the church mutually humbling itself towards one another. And isn't this the picture of marriage? I mean, the correlation breaks down at some point. We're, we're, we're not married in, in so some of the sort of absolute senses that a husband and wife are, but there is a correlation. The, lo- the loving husband is called to act like Christ in the marriage, to love his wife in the same manner and way in which Christ himself loved the church by laying his life down for her. And the wife lovingly, willingly, of her own volition, submitting to the husband. And in that way, the the mutual humility and humble laying down of their lives for one another is what unites and knits husband and wife together. And so it is in the church. As the godly elder lays his life down, points everyone to Christ, And the humble churchgoer submits themselves to that leadership and follows because they understand that those men have watch care over their souls. The church grows together and blossoms and is beautified. That's the picture that's painted for us. That's what sustains us. That's what distinguishes us from the world. It's what sets us apart. When we look at the world out there that is at odds with one another, we set an example of our humility by saying, no, we're going to do the opposite. The foolishness of the cross is the way of glory. That's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians. The foolishness of the world is the way of wisdom. And so it is when we humble ourselves towards each other. Well, this brings us to our final point and glorious hope. We have a glorious, humble shepherd who leads us home. We have a glorious, humble shepherd who leads us home. You'll notice that the the elder doesn't just do these things and pour himself out with any, without any hope. What does it say here? It says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The word unfading there is translated unfading. But it can be equally translated as a word for, uh, and I'm not going to try and quote it, but it, it's, a, it's a plant that doesn't fade. It's the same word. What was the crown? 
Well, winners of races would receive crowns. They would receive wreaths, if you will. And the picture here that Peter's painting is that when you get to glory, you're going to receive the unfading wreath of beauty that marks the work of Christ in your life. It's not you. It's not your work. It's not your humility, but it's Christ at work in and through you. And when we get to glory, we'll enjoy all the benefits of being under the King. And submission to Him. And enjoy all the glory that reflects on us. And for those at the very end, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is the glory of the gospel. Jesus Christ did not consider equality with God a thing to be held on to, but made himself nothing. Taking on the form of a servant, he humbled himself, even to the point of giving up his life on the cross. Foolishness to the world. And what did God do? He highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That glory is ours. Not not now in its fullness, but in part, we're called Christian because we reflect the glory of God. And as we follow him in his path of humility, what a joy to know that we are partakers of Christ, the one who laid himself down for us, who gave himself up for us. Friends, let's, let's clothe ourselves with this humility. That is ours in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.